0: So this weekend marks the celebration of, anybody, anybody? Memorial Day, excellent, thank you, Memorial Day. I was getting worried there. Memorial Day, Memorial Day. It's a holiday where we remember the military men and women who have died while performing their military duties. And this day serves to remind us of the cost that so many have made on behalf of our country. And so in response on this day, People visit the cemeteries of their loved ones. Uh, they go and place flags on the graves. If there's not a pandemic, there's usually parades that people attend. Another family get togethers and food and all of those good things. Why do we do all of this? Because we don't wanna forget, right? We don't wanna forget. We wanna remember those who have made a sacrifice because remembering the past paves the way for how we move forward in the future. And so today, as we wrap up our series in Esther, we're going to talk about the importance of remembering. Today, we're going to see how the Israelites chose to remember a time where God used ordinary individuals through ordinary circumstances to save his people. And through that, we are going to see what we can learn about remembering. And so this morning, we're going to jump right into the text to do this. We're going to be in verse 9, verse 20 of chapter 9. I'm going to throw the slides up there for you, especially since we don't have Bibles back under the chairs quite yet. So here we go. Chapter 9, verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things, all that had happened, and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of the king of Hosiros, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar, which is our march, and also the 15th day of the same, year by year. And as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another, and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agite, the son of Hamdata, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast purr, that is cast lots or dice, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, the king gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, After the term per, therefore, because of all that was written in his letter and what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly have obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail, they would keep these days, keep these two days according to what was written and at that time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, providence, and city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days ever cease among their descendants. This is the word of the Lord. So in a nutshell, Israel defeats their enemies, and Mordecai, who's now second in command of all of Persia, creates this feast of Purim to celebrate what God has done. And the celebration continues to this day. uh, The people in Israel, they'll fast leading up to this day like Esther did, kids will dress up in costumes and have parades, and and it's kind of funny, I looked up just to see some pictures and like the kids in costumes, I figured they'd be dressed up like Haman and Mordecai, but no, they're dressed up like um, Bob Sponge Square, whatever his name is, and like all of these different cartoon characters. So apparently it's like a Halloween dress up, you dress up like anything. Uh, They give money and gifts to the poor. They feast and they celebrate. And then they read the book of Esther and they'll cheer when Mordecai's name is read and they'll boo when Haman's name is read. It's quite the festive reading. We should try that sometime when we're in here. Probably be fun. So they do that every year. They remember what God has done. Now, why did Mordecai and Esther want to institute this? The same reason that we institute holidays. Holidays like Memorial Day, we want to remember that these days should be remembered. They say this twice in this passage. This was the whole point, that they would remember. And what is it exactly that they are remembering? The days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. The day that Haman rolled the purr, or the dice, as we would call them, and thought that he was choosing the day of the death of the Israelites. But instead, he was choosing the day that the enemies of the Israelites would be defeated. This is what they celebrate. As I said earlier, this is why they call it Perim, after the dice. Not only are they celebrating this event and how God loaded the dice, took the dice and used them for his purposes, it actually has a deeper meaning. We also see in the Bible that, as I said, uh, per or dice are called lots. You may have heard cast lots. It has a double meaning in the Bible one, with dice, but two, having to do with God's providence. We see in the Bible when David was in a time of desperation, he wrote this He said, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He says, God, you hold my lot. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance." Lot meaning what God has given you, what belongs to you. Just like when you go to build a house, what do you buy before you build the house? You buy a a lot, what God has given you. And so if you sit here today with your hope and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, scripture tells you that your future, your lot is secure with God. Do you know that this morning? That your future is secure with God. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 28, Jesus speaking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. It means once you're secure with God, you are secure with God, period. Your future is secure with God. That is what they were celebrating. That is what we celebrate. This is one of the reasons that we gather together, that no matter what comes, our lot is secure in Jesus Christ. Whether it comes to fruition in this life or for all of eternity in salvation, that our lot is secure with Jesus, period. Is that not good news this morning? Your lot is secure. Now, why is it so important for the Israelites to remember all of this? That they were given relief from their enemies. The reason, or one of them, is because days would come when they would not find relief from their enemies. There would be times that Israel would go through very, very hard struggles And they would need to be reminded that their lot was secure in God because looking around at their circumstances, it would not feel like it was very secure. That they could go back and read the story of Esther and Mordecai and hold out hope that in the end, God would turn the tables like he did with Haman, that they would prevail and their enemies would not. See, without remembering the past, they had nothing to anchor their hope to. Nothing to look to, to give them courage to go forward. Now, I'm gonna assume that none of us have ever faced the threat of extermination. But every one of us, no matter where you are in your belief about God, you go through times in your life where you feel like you're just taking it on the chin. You can all think of times in your life, financial troubles, job loss, pandemics, politics in your country falling apart, marriage, family struggles, deaths, and the list goes on. You see, in those moments, our ability to face those situations, to have hope in those situations, to have courage in those situations, to honor God and be obedient to him in those situations will in part be based on our ability to remember what God has done in the past. You see, remembering the past changes how we see the present. Remembering the past changes how we see the present. I feel like it is so easy for us to forget God's goodness when trouble comes our way. I watch it in my own life, I watch it in the lives of people that I minister to as a pastor for the last 20 years. And you see this tendency all throughout the Bible. I mean, this is just over and over again in the Old Testament. God does something great for his people. Everyone's like, yay, God. They're all happy for a time and then they forget when trouble comes their way again. And then God calls them back to them and if they answer, you see what I did there? I just wanted to stop and acknowledge the cool transition I did with the phone ringing. Thank you. See, sometimes when your phone rings, it's because God was working. And every time they forget, God calls them back to himself. And you'll see when he calls them back, he calls them back to the promises and things that he has done in the past. And if they don't remember, every time they forget, they go back to acting like people who do not have a future secured in God's goodness. Man, I think I go out today and I look at people who are Christians, And they leave a bad taste in other people's mouths who who believe in other gods or atheists or agnostic because when trouble comes their way, they don't act like someone who is secure in God's goodness. Their anger, their panic, their scheming because they've forgotten what God has done. And in times of your struggle, and I bet you some of you right now are going through hard times, in house, online, are you someone who remember God's goodness? That your, your lot is secure in him? This is why in the Old Testament, God's people were often instructed to raise an Ebenezer. We're not talking about Scrooge here, right? They were talking about stones. They would raise these monuments like stones of remembrance and a monument up to remember what God had done, how he had came through. Or they did feasts or celebrations. The Israelites have a feast for everything because they want to remember what God has done. So they put in the effort. They put in the effort to remember. This is what we're going to do so that we will remember. If you notice, anytime that we want to remember something, we put in the effort, Right? We'll tie, what was that old thing? you supposed to tie a string or a knot. Remember hearing that growing up? Always interested to figure out where that came from. Or you'll use sticky notes. We like to use sticky notes. Or you'll use your phone to set a reminder. Because if you want to remember, you'll put in the effort. For those of you who are younger, there used to be a time where you could not just put a phone number in your phone. You had to remember it. You had to write it down in a phone, little phone book. you put their name in ink and pen. Or you'd have to memorize it and you would repeat it over and over and over and over again to remember it. You'd have to put in the effort so you wouldn't forget it. In the same way, the Israelites said, we must remember. Here's what we're going to do so we remember. It says that without fail, this was their goal, they obliged themselves. Without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written. Notice this, it says without fail. You know what that means? That they realized that they could fail to remember. They could fail to remember. We all forget things, some of us more than others. They realized they could fail to remember. And so they made a commitment not to fail. They were determined not to forget what God has done. In the same way, that's why we come to church on Sunday to remember what God has done in our lives. that when we feel like we're not getting relief from our enemies, we're not getting relief from the problems in this world, that we come together to be reminded through the worship and through our word that our lot is secure in God. I mean, I was talking to somebody and they texted me and they, <clears throat> I'm paraphrasing, they said, look, I often feel like that man, when my, my life feels more out of control and I'm more scared when I'm not coming to church than when I am. I said, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm in the same boat. That's why I'm a pastor. I'm always forced to come to church because it reminds me that God has secured my lot in him. Or even to remember when our circumstances are not so great, not because of anything outside of ourselves, but because of our own mistakes. You ever had bad circumstances in life because of your own sinfulness and stupidity? Probably most of them, like me. That's when we come here, and so we feel like we're separated from God or we're not good enough anymore, and so we come here, but we're reminded, like in 2 Timothy 13, where it says, if we are faithful, faithless, he remains, anybody know? Faithful, for he cannot deny, deny himself. In other words, that if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your lot is secure. No matter of your sin and mistakes. I mean, look at Israel, all throughout the Old Testament, God would show up, he would do these awesome things for them, and then what they would do? They would turn their backs on him, wouldn't they? I mean, this is why they got in this place, they got in trouble in the first place. The reason they're in Persia is that they started, back when they were in Israel, to worship other gods, to ignore their God, to ignore the things he said they would do, and so God said, all right, fine. My protection is lifted. The Babylonians are gonna they're gonna crush you. And they did. And then later the Babylonians got crushed by the Persians and the Persians took back over. But through all of this, God said, I'm still gonna restore you. Even I'm gonna allow you be conquered, I will restore you. Why? Because their lot was not dependent on who they were, but who God was. And he goes, I've made a commitment and a promise to you and I will remain faithful. And he does the same for us, that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he adopts you like a son or daughter into his family. And as we read earlier, that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And that means you can't jump out either. People always say, can you lose your salvation? I said, look, if you, if you can lose your salvation, you never had it in the first place. God's commitment to us, our lot, is based on who He is and not who we are. And that's why we got to come to church because there's so many people out there preaching and teaching us other things. Some of you have grown up in churches that would teach you other things, things that the Word of God does not say. But we can still have this be true, this lot be secure, and let's not feel it, us not experience it in our life, us not, not be the foundation for how we move forward. Because we We can choose not to remember something. We can choose to walk away from something. We can choose to stop remembering. That's why we have to choose to remember. Like the Israelites, we have to choose to remember. We have to choose to remember. And this is one of the reasons, week after week, I talk to you about, man, who making church a priority? Who are you inviting to church? Because coming to church helps you again remember who God is in a way that you will not remember on your own. See, we all grow up in these in our lives and we have voices pouring into us. Your parents pour voices into you, uh, speak into your life. Your teachers speak into your life. Your friends growing up, your siblings growing up, your coworkers, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, the news media. You have all of these people speaking into your life, telling you what's good, what's not good. If you're good, you're not good, what you need to do to be good or not to be good for better or for worse. And so without even realizing, we spend this entire life jumping from one voice to another. We end up confused, constantly left empty on trying to figure out, man, does my life matter? And why should it matter? And what am I here for? God is the only one who can supply these answers. He is the only one whose voice has remained consistent since the beginning of time. You have people out there who are atheists and agnostics and, uh, and doubters. And you know what? It's okay to have questions. You should have questions. But the one question that they often don't answer when I talk to them is they have nothing, uh, no voice to ever replace God's. Because there is nothing else to replace God's other than the ever-changing voice of humanity that will go back and forth and switch from this to that and never settle on anything. God's voice has stayed consistent. This is why we need to be together because we allow these inner voices to get in our heads. We listen to them all of the time without even realizing it. And they bring anxiety and they bring anger and they can bring sadness. Now, sometimes they bring joy. There can be good voices, but this inner voice where we're just listening to ourselves over and over and over and over and over again, and it plagues our relationships and how we move forward. We need an outside voice to speak truth into those. That's why we come together. The music teaches us God's truth. The sermons, they teach us God's truth, or at least they better. The testimonies of other people that we speak to while we're having tasty treats and coffee after service or a meeting in small groups or or in our retreats, they they speak into our lives and they remind us of God's truth. I tell you right now, if you wanna have the right perspective when trouble comes, if you wanna see your life hold together, the lives around you that you influence hold together You have to make church a priority. It's God's idea. You know, we come across all these people. Have you ever come across people and are like, man, I just wish I was like that. They just have such words of encouragement and they have verses just flow off their tongues like just honey, they're just oh so good, right? They always have faith. They're always serving. You're like, oh man, I want to be like that person as if they're on a different level of spiritual holiness than you are, like if they got a different dose of the Holy Spirit than you did, you got like the leftover dose, they got like the prime dose, right? I got news for you. They are just as messed up as you are. They are just, maybe some of them are even more messed up than you are. The only difference is, is they put the work in. They show up to church, they read their Bible They get involved in small groups. They serve, they pray, they get the God's voice into their life. They choose to remember who he is. They're putting the work in to remember who God is. That is the difference, hands down, every time. Those who put in the work to get God's word into their life through community to change their outlook. Sometimes I come across people that sometimes, I just don't feel God. I just don't feel him. They'll tell me they don't feel God and yet, God's word says nothing about relying on your feelings. It says, do what God's word has called you to do and he will mold and shape you. And so when I talk to people that they're not growing in the Lord and and they're not feeling God and I find out they go to church once a month, if that, or only if they wake up on time or, or if their Bible has dust on it or they haven't been to a small group in years, I say, no wonder you're not putting work in. Nowhere in our lives do things just get delivered to us on a silver platter. We have to put the work and the time in. You take a marriage. A marriage doesn't get better just naturally. A husband and wife don't just get married and then not talk at all, not pour into each other, and it magically grow and become this just, you know, incredible marriage. No, they put the work into each other, the time into each other. And they develop these memories with each other that they go back to and through the hard times when things are struggling, those memories of what it could be carries them through. It works in all aspects of life. We gotta choose to remember. Hebrews 10 says, Let us, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. I've been a pastor for 20 years. Before I was a pastor, my church attendance stunk. It was horrible. I was a teenage guy, a young 20s guy who liked to stay up till 2, 3 a.m. on Saturday night and could not pull my ba- my, my hiney out of bed on Sunday morning. I was so bad at this that my college banned me from taking 8 a.m. courses. They banned me. I didn't even know you could do that. They wouldn't let me do it because I couldn't get my hiney out of bed because I was just living my own life and my priority was having fun, right? And I noticed something in my life, and it's true as a pastor, as I watch it in others, that our Christian walk with God, it's like being in a fire. You know, this come on, barbecue season's coming up, roasting hot dog season's coming up. And as you get that fire roaring and going and something just awesome about having a big fire and all those coals getting burnt red, right? Because they're heating each other. What happens when you pull one out? It goes black, it gets cold. In the same way, in our Christian life, when we pull ourselves out of community with other believers, we go cold. We go cold, that's what happens. Our walk with God goes cold. Church must come first every week in our lives. You have to make that decision in your mind. I am going to make church a priority first and foremost. If you don't, something else will take its place. You have to be so afraid of your sin, so afraid of your ability to grow cold in your walk that you know you cannot miss church no matter what. And when you do that, you change your perspective in your life and you start working your schedule around church rather than church being the thing you do if you have free time in your schedule. Now, does this mean you can never miss church? Yes, it does. Or you go to hell. (gasps) No, you can miss church. Because in the end, it's a church service. The church, we are the church. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a part of the church, okay? What we're having together is a church service. We all have events that come up that prevent us from going to church services. We all have vacations that come up. We have pandemics that sometimes come up. That's not what I'm talking about. You remember Jesus, New Testament, obviously talk, he would often talk about the intention of our heart, driving what is sin and what is not. What I'm talking about is when there's a pattern in your life of not going to church, of it taking second place. When there's that pattern comes up, you will forget who God is. I have never met anybody who is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, who is irregular and occasional attender of church. I've met people who know how to talk the talk and to usher out the words they grew up in Bible school, but when trouble comes in their life, you watch it the faith crumble. You will forget who God is. And the peace from knowing God and remembering what he's done will flush away in hard times. And anxiety and anger and fear and confusion is what will slip in. Oh, but I can watch online. I got that a lot nowadays. Look, online is, is decent for getting the word, but let's not fool ourselves. I watched online. You know, you're watching online, your phone rings, you get distracted by anything, you decide to get up a snack in the middle of the third point of the sermon. You know, you You know, if you have young kids, forget about it. But even if you're in a quiet environment, and sometimes you can't get to church, you're shut in. Sometimes, you know, if you're at home because of the pandemic, that's all right. Once again, a matter of the heart. But being in church is about being the church. Okay, we don't just gather as we receive, and this is an American problem we have. We think we come to church because it's good for us, and it is, but really we come to church because we are supposed to be there for other people. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how members of the body of Christ, members of the church, people who put their faith and trust in Christ, how they're different parts of a body. They'll talk about how you're the, the hand, or you're the ear, or you're the eye, or you're the foot, and he talks about how they're all important. Do you, can you imagine tomorrow morning you get up out of bed, you get up for work, and as you get up for work, you start hobbling because you notice that your foot stayed in bed or your eye decided to stay in bed or your ear decided to stay in bed. I ain't getting up today. Now that's silly, but that's what happens when we're not a part of the church. We are a member of the body, we're staying home, and so it hurts others. Because every week that we come to church, we are called to serve one another. We never know when we have something to share with somebody else, or we have a word of encouragement, or when God's gonna call us to pray for somebody, or he's gonna lay something on our heart to speak to somebody, you never know, or he's gonna ask us to step up in a certain area. You never know just the smile or the handshake that you will give to somebody else that may encourage them in your walk. We have to get a bigger vision for our churches, that we're not there if it's just good for us. We're not there just to receive, we're there to give, to encourage one another, to build each other up. Even if you're not in a ministry, just like, you know, like I love my kids, my kids love to come to church, right? And they love to sit in their classes, right? Which I think is awesome so thankful for their hearts. And and even though they're sitting in their classes, they're encouraging others. Why? Because there means there's more kids in their classes. So it encourages and helps other kids to feel comfortable. It encourages the teacher who puts all this effort into prepping. Even sitting a hiney in the seat is pouring into other people. Oh, church, I tell you right now, if we are going to remember who God is in our life, we have to make church the rule and not the exception. Other people need us to help them remember. I tell you right now, if you sit here and your faith is wavering, I'm I'm going to tell you right now in part, one of the reasons is because on Sundays, you look to other things than church. If you think I'm wrong, come up and talk to me afterwards, but it'll be the first time I've seen it in 20 years. We got to choose to remember. Choose to remember. Now there's a second goal I want to highlight. Not only did they want to remember, but they wanted to remember for a purpose, not just for themselves, but for another. It says that it would be kept through every generation that they would do all of this, that the commemoration of these days would never cease among their descendants. They wanted to pass it on to the next generation. They're like, we cannot let our children forget who God is. Our children must know who he is. I mean, if it is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, if our only hope is in him, in him securing our lot and our future in this life and in the next, then what greater priority could we have in our lives than passing that on to the next generation? Seriously, if he's the only hope for the world, what greater purpose could we have? As parents, as grandparents, as neighbors, and as the church. This goes beyond just having parents and kids, though that's important. We'll talk about that in a moment. I got people right now who are teaching my kids, who are teaching the kids of the church. Uh, They'll be doing it in the next service. They're passing it on. Even if you're not teaching, teaching, when you're here at church and you shake a child's hand or you say hi, you give them a high five or you let them know that you are praying for them or you, you get them involved and usher them in the mystery, what you're doing is you're passing it on to them. Man, as we've been praying this year and we're reading and studying how we want to pass this on to the next generation, what does ministry to our youth look like here at Echo Lake? This is a big focus this year. And we don't want to have a ministry where we're just entertaining our kids, where we bring them in on a Wednesday night to do some silly games and call it good. We want to pass on to them the security of God's faithfulness into their lives. We want them to see them. They can start making a difference no matter what age that they are in. We want to commit ourselves to helping them remember who God is. What are you handing down to the next generation? What are you handing down? Is it faith in God or is it faith in something else? What about you parents? What are you handing down? Think about it. What are you handing down to your kids that is gonna be a foundation for them that will outlast any trouble in their life? What is it? Some of us, we hand down work As parents, this could be a girl thing, but I see it a lot in men, where we're so obsessed and focused on work and achievement that that's what we're passing down. We pass down to our kids, you gotta work, you gotta work, you gotta work. And there's a place for work. The Bible's clear about that, but there's a place where work takes too high of a priority. Because what happens when the job loss comes? As many experienced over this last year. Or a big thing right now is sports. Sports is huge. And I tell you, I, I watch as a pastor, parent after parent has no problem their kids missing church for sports. But man, they will never, never miss a sports game. They will, never, they will move hell. They will move anything to make it to a sports game. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with sports. I love sports. And there's nothing wrong with attending a tournament now and again. But once again, when it becomes a pattern in your lives, when sports always trumps being a part of the church, what is it that you're passing down? Not that a love of sports is wrong. I love sports, like I said. But what happens when sports is over? Is that going to be the eternal hope that they can look to the rest of their lives? Is that going to be what sustains them? The problem is, is when we teach them that church is second or third or fourth and optional, they carry that into their lives. I've watched it over the last 20 years time and time and time again. I tell you right now, you do your child no greater disservice if Jesus is who he says he is, to skip them out on church, the one place that reminds them outside of the home that their lot is in God. And I tell you right now, one parent and two parents going to church, the difference between them is a huge difference. There's a study that was done about a decade ago out of a Christian magazine and they pulled a bunch of people, I don't remember how many, and they found a staggering difference between the amount of parents who went to church with their kids Here's what the difference that they found. They found when both parents attended church, 33% of those kids ended up being regular attenders. 41% ended up being irregular attenders of the people that they polled. If one parent attended the church, it changed dramatically. It went to 2% ended up regular attending and 30%, 37% irregular attendance. Look at the difference between these. Now, now just because you bring your kid to church, are they gonna follow in your footsteps? I wish that was the case, but it is not. But it shows the enormous influence we have when both parents are willing to make church a priority in their lives. Once again, if Jesus is who he says he is, is there anything else that we can, any other greater thing that we can place as an anchor in their lives? And I know for some of you, some of you parents, you bring your kids on your own and you try with your spouse and they do not come, God is still with you. This is the moment where you remember that your lot is secure in God. That just as he brought you in here as one day that you did not, and now that you do because he is with you, he is continually working on that. And as you pray for your spouses, and as you continue to invite your spouses, do not lose hope at what he has done looking back to what he did in your life. Let it be the stabilizing force for your life. Pour into your kids what you can, praying and teaching them. And I pray and look forward to the day that your spouse will join you. Because of God's work through your commitment to remember who he is, that'll infiltrate your family, that your family would remember together that your lot is secure in him. Amen, church. Amen.